Well, if you looked in the bulletin this morning, you might be a bit confused. No, Pastor Jim did not grow a beard and get a new set of glasses. He is not here. He's, uh, thankfully, he is recovering uh, from illness now, and um, hopefully he'll be back with us soon. So uh, he's, he's still sort of on the mend, and so we want to continue to pray for him. And um, I now have an opportunity this morning to share God's word with you, which is my great delight. I do want to start off by saying Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. It's great to be together for worship on the first day of the year. When I was a kid, I used to love to remind my parents that Christmas wasn't just one day, but it's actually 12 days, like that song reminds us. I try to encourage my mom that the gift-giving really shouldn't stop on the 25th. It should continue all the way to the 5th of January, covering all 12 days of Christmas. Now, of course, now that I'm a parent, I regret this very much because now this is coming back to haunt me in full swing. Well, because we are still in the Christmas season, it gives us an opportunity to continue to reflect on the beginning months of Jesus' life together. So this is going to be our last sermon in our Christmas series as it happens to fall on the first day of 2023. I'm wondering if you thought about what you wanted this year to look like for yourself, for your others, for your family. What are you hoping that 2023 has for you? You know, if there's any time of year where people are most motivated to make changes, it's really the first day of the year, the first month of the year. A new year is always an opportunity for a fresh start. Sometimes when I'm writing my sermons, uh, my daughters will look over my shoulder, and my nine-year-old said to me, you know what you should say to the congregation is that it's a new day, a new week, a new month, and a new year all in the same day. She said, that'll really hit it, uh, drive it home, and I think she's right. I need all the help I can get when writing these sermons sometimes. Now, interestingly, the Bible doesn't say anything about New Year's resolutions, but in both the Old and New Testaments, we are counseled to look at our lives before God. We're counseled to put our lives under a magnifying glass and to ask ourselves the question, what exactly is my life producing? How is my relationship with God actually being evidenced out in the world? So here's a sample of the kinds of things that Scripture teaches. From Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, what the psalmist is saying here is, God, show me where I need a course of action, uh, correction, and put me back on the right path. Here's one more from 1 Timothy 4.16. This is Paul's counsel to Timothy, who is a young pastor who's growing as a church leader. He says to him, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, You will save both yourself and your hearers. And the Bible has many verses like this. 
about how we are to take a close look at our lives. So no, it doesn't say anything about New Year's resolutions, but it does teach us to resolve each day to live for God. So as we're thinking about how to start 2023, we want to look at these two events from the beginning of Jesus' life that we read about in the Gospel of Luke. The first is Jesus' circumcision and naming ceremony, and the second is Mary and Joseph's dedication of Jesus in the temple. Now, if you're here this morning and you're saying, I really do hope that this year goes better for me. I really do want things to be different for me at home. I want to have a different and better attitude at work this year. I want to grow in my relationship with God I want to be a better representative of Jesus in school. Well, believe it or not, these two events from Jesus' life have profound wisdom to teach us on how we are to live this year. So let's look at these events together. You'll notice that in just one verse, verse 21, Luke tells us about Jesus' circumcision and naming ceremony. And the very first thing I want to note about this is that it's actually very timely that we look at this event in Jesus' life today. And here's why. We celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th in this side of the world, okay? Not that we actually believe that Jesus was born on the 25th, but that's why we celebrate it. If you want to know why we celebrate on 25th, Oh, look, Pastor Tracy's in the back. He'd love to answer any questions you have about the dating of the church calendar. Okay, so we know that Jesus, so we celebrate Jesus' birth on the 25th, and so eight days later would place Jesus, uh, uh, January 1st, uh, being circumcised in name, our New Year's Day. So it's timely that we actually look at this event today in Jesus' life. But more than that, This event is significant because it actually teaches us why Jesus came into the world. You see, in obedience to Old Testament law, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be circumcised. And you'll remember where this comes from. Thousands of years earlier, God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a special covenant with Abraham. And from his line, his people would, from his line, God's people would emerge. And so the sign that they were part of God's people was this mark of circumcision, right? And from this line of Abraham, all the people of the world would be blessed. So starting with Abraham and every male child, uh, and every male child and every future generation, they were to be circumcised as a sign of God's covenant to his people. And just as the foreskin was to be cut off from the body during circumcision, some of you just woke up, hello. So symbolically, God separated his people from the rest of the world. Okay, They were to live holy lives as God's life was to be holy. Now we may think that this mark of circumcision is quite odd, But even in our day, people mark or alter their bodies to make a statement about their identity, right? People get tattoos or piercings of various kinds. I remember when I was in graduate school, 
I had a classmate who was branded with a hot poker with the initials of his fraternity, a cattle prod. Right? That was a sign to everyone that he belonged to this elite fraternity. So people marked their bodies in all kinds of ways to distinguish their identity. So that's what circumcision was. It was a physical marker on God's people that they were really his, that they were to be different. But more importantly than this mark of circumcision, God's people were to show that they were different and how they lived according to God's law. You see, how Israel worshipped, how they practiced Sabbath, how they treated the poor, even those how they treated people who were uh, coming into their country from foreign lands, all that was supposed to show that they had a unique relationship with the creator of the universe, the God of Israel. But you see, it was more than just rule-keeping and outward rituals like circumcision that demarcated that they were God's people. We heard earlier in Deuteronomy that circumcision was to communicate a deeply spiritual meaning. It meant that the heart of God's people was dedicated and set aside for living for God. It was about obeying God with a heart filled with love, not just obligation, but true and sincere devotion. You see, in the same way that wearing a wedding ring signifies not just a legal bond of marriage, but a bond of love, the external sign of circumcision was ultimately meant to signify a deep love to God from the heart. So when Jesus receives this mark of circumcision, that rich history of God's people, right, that sign of the covenant, well, that becomes his. His life is joined to the story of Israel and Abraham when he receives this mark of circumcision. But unlike anyone else that has come from Abraham's line, he obeys God perfectly in the covenant. You see, Jesus' name means Savior, and that's exactly what the line of Abraham needs. Abraham and his descendants need a Savior. And Jesus keeps this covenant with God, not just externally, but from the very depths of his being. As the Savior of the world and as the Messiah of Israel, he fulfills the obligations of God's law perfectly from the heart. You see, in that passage from Deuteronomy, what we have there is the people are standing looking at the promised land. It's right before their eyes. This wonderful future that God wants them to have when they cross over is right there for them. And God makes all those lavish promises to them, right? He says, for the Lord will again take delight in prospering you in many, many ways. Not just this year, but for all your future generations. On one condition, that they keep the covenant. You see, although the next generation is allowed to enter the promised land, Israel keeps breaking their covenant with God again and again. And rather than being a witness to the other nations about how they are uniquely God's chosen people, they end up worshiping 
the gods of the other nations. And that covenant with Abraham, that covenant of great blessing that was supposed to be uh, a sign that they were to prosper all their days, ends up actually what? Testifying against them about their disobedience. It shows just how unfaithful they really have been to God. But then, from the line of Abraham, Jesus Christ enters into the world, and just like all his male ancestors, he's marked with circumcision. But unlike any other ancestor, his heart is totally set aside for the living God. You see, where all of Israel's leaders failed to live up to the covenant, Jesus is the only Israelite who keeps its terms perfectly. He does for Abraham and his descendants what they could have never done and didn't do. Now, here's the thing. Jesus' obedience to God is good news only if we are brought under His name, right? We need to have His life, His name stamped upon us if we are going to stand in covenant, with, covenant relationship with God again. We need to fall under His obedience. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2. He says, when you came to Christ, notice what he says, you were circumcised. Not with a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Paul is saying that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your life now is set aside for God. You have become spiritually circumcised. Your identity now is located in the person of Jesus Christ. You now do life under His name. Because with Christ comes all the blessings of the covenant of Abraham. They are ours. Last week, uh, my family and I had an opportunity to go to an amusement park, and um, we were able to enjoy admittance to the amusement park for free, and the reason that was was because a high-level employee put a reservation for us under his name. So that when we went up to the ticket booth and we shared his name, it meant that we had instant access into the park with all the benefits of membership at no cost to us, simply because we were under his name. And the same is true in our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. You see, just as circumcision was an external sign in the Old Testament, right, that a person belonged to God, so baptism in the New Testament is a sign that you belong to Jesus Christ. That's what baptism means. Whether you were baptized when you were young or older, it's Jesus Christ's name upon you. That's who you now are. So whatever you would hope to achieve in 2023, 
or whatever you hope would be said about you by the end of the year, there's nothing greater that can be said about you than that you are a Christian, that the name of Jesus Christ is upon you. That is the only name that grants us the kind of life that God wants us to enjoy with Him. So what that means is that the most important thing you can do this year and every year is to grow more mature as a Christian, to grow more under the name of Jesus Christ, to honor the Lord in whose name you have been baptized. See, practically what that means is that if you're trying to manage your finances better this year, let's say, or you're trying to improve your relationships, or you're trying to do better in school, it means that the most important way you could approach those decisions is to grow in Christ-like character. It's more important. It's more than just making better decisions. It's more important than having fewer conflicts at home or getting a good report card. It's about God's Spirit taking the person of Christ and further influencing your character so that His name is better being born out in your life. That's what it's about. One of my favorite examples in my life where I, I saw this in a very powerful way was when I was a youth leader uh, back in college. We had a student in the youth group that was especially gifted in math and science and, and especially physics. And what happens was when the student would take tests on test day, he would finish about 15 to 20 minutes before everybody else. Okay? And he would look around and he would see his fellow classmates really struggling with the test or perhaps not even being able to finish the test at all. Clearly, he was on the NASA track and not on the assistant pastor track. It was very obvious at that point. Well, the student wanted to reflect Christ's character more at school. He didn't just want to have high marks, as good as the thing that was. He wanted to bear Christ's name faithfully in that classroom. So what he decided to do was to offer free tutoring to struggling students in the class. And after a few weeks of sessions, one of the students asked him, why are you doing this? Why are you concerned about my success in the class? He said, I'm doing this because I am a Christian. Jesus gave me a new life, and he gave me these gifts, so I want to use them in a way that honors his name in the class. You see, if we really want your year to count, then the best thing that you and I can do is to dedicate our time and our energy and our resources to really what matters most, and that's growing more into the likeness of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. I love how the Book of Common Prayer, the prayer book for the Anglican Church, provides a prayer that helps us see the importance of living under Christ's name even as we consider His circumcision and naming. It says this, Almighty God, your blessed Son fulfilled the covenant of circumcision for our sake and was given the name that is above every name. Give us grace faithfully to bear His name and to worship Him with pure hearts 
according to the new covenant, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. It's a beautiful prayer that teaches us we are to live under the name of King Jesus this year. So that's what we learned from Jesus' circumcision and naming. Now let's look at Jesus' dedication and specifically Simeon's response to it in the temple. So Jesus was circumcised eight days after he was born. Mary and Joseph then go to the temple 40 days for this uh, purification ceremony. And the reason that Mary and Joseph have to go to the temple for this purification is because that during labor, the discharge of blood for Mary and Joseph would have made them unclean. So they had to offer a sacrifice to God in order to be restored back to worship at the temple. And because Mary and Joseph were poor, they couldn't offer the lamb that was required. Instead, they can either offer two doves or two pigeons. They were pious, but they were poor. And the second thing they do at the temple is they dedicate Jesus to the Lord as the firstborn son. So Luke tells us these things because he wants us to see that although Mary and Joseph are poor, they are devoted followers of God. You'll remember that Jesus says this in Luke's gospel. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see, his own parents modeled this devotion to God in their poverty. Hardship was not a barrier for their faith, but they learned how to serve God through their hardship. And let me just say that I think that this is a good example for us to think about in the beginning of the year, because I don't know what financial or other hardships are going to come your way or my way. And we may be tempted to let go of our obligations to God in the face of those hardships and difficulties, but Mary and Joseph show us a living faith example that through our poverty, we can really live devoted to God. You see, what they did was they held on to God more, even though they had less to hold on to materially, and that's a good example for us. Now, before we get to Simeon, there's something else I want to note about Mary and Joseph's devotion. They carried out their devotion to God as a couple. They were consciously, if you think about this, they were actually consciously raising Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, in the faith. Ever think about that? What a profound obligation and responsibility. I want to ask you, how are you as a couple, as a family, shaping your children's faith? You see, of all the things that we could ever hope to pass down to our kids, there is nothing more important than teaching them the faith that is at the center of our life. And the way that we do this is both in, for, in, in informal and informal, formal and informal ways. We do this by praying together with them, reading Scripture together, asking questions about their spiritual lives, going to church regularly, even when we don't necessarily always feel like it. These are formal ways that we can nurture the faith of our children, but just as important is the way that we nurture their faith informally, 
we model Christ-like character in the home for them, right? We actively seek ways to love our children by spending time with them and discovering their interests. We are patient with them in their faults, and we correct them gently. When we get upset or make a mistake, we apologize. We own up to our behavior. In all these ways, we are shaping our children's faith that will one day grow into maturity. And that's what, Jesus, uh, that's what Mary and Joseph did for Jesus early on in his life, and it's a good example for us as well. Now, I want to lastly look at Simeon's response to Jesus. You see, what we have here when Jesus is presented uh, in the temple is Simeon, who is a devout and religious man, uh, presumably older, and he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the promised Messiah to come. In fact, he's been waiting his whole life for this. God told him in a special way that he was not going to die until he held Israel's Messiah. Now, one of the things that makes Simeon's faith so so extraordinary is that at the time that this is happening, Rome is ruling Israel, right? God's people are under oppression, and yet despite all, but despite that difficulty, Simeon held on to the messianic promises that were in the Old Testament. So, in the Holy Spirit, he goes into the temple, and in the middle of the dedication ceremony, I mean, could you imagine you're watching a dedication up here, and some strange man comes up and grabs the child? I mean, that wouldn't fly today. But that's what he does because he has overjoyed because the thing that he most wanted to see, he finally has. What every generation hoped to see is now in Simeon's hands. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel, the light of the nations is right there in his hands. You know, some churches uh, practice each evening, in, in, in their evening prayers, they pray the song of Simeon before they go to bed. And by doing that, this, prof- this profoundly applies what this, what this uh, prayer that Simeon prays is all about. I mean, just think about this for a moment, right? By the time you're ready to close your eyes, by the time you're ready to go to bed, Think about how many things that you've encountered throughout the day, right? The rush of getting out of the door, the crunch of meeting the deadline, all the work emails, all the school assignments, not to mention all the interaction with others, and the millions of thoughts that flood your mind. It's hard to make sense of everything that you do in one day when it comes crashing down like that. And what Simeon's prayer reminds us, what it reminds us of is that no matter what, has encount- what we've encountered throughout the day or even throughout the year, if we are holding on to Jesus Christ by faith, that's just not a good way to end the day. That's actually the measure of a good life. That's the most important thing that we could ever know or experience. And each evening is an opportunity to bring reminded of that. If I have Christ, I have everything. 
as, as important as other decisions in life are, Jesus Christ alone is the ultimate thing. And Simeon really drives this point home in the last thing he says in our passage. He says to Mary and Joseph, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The sword that would pierce Mary's heart is the agony of seeing her son crucified before the world, for the sins of the world. And what Simeon is saying is this, the measure of your life and the measure of my life is what you make of the person of Jesus Christ. Because if it is for us that He has died, that He has removed our sins and has given us new life, if that is what we base our life on, then this will be to our rising. But if we turn away from Christ and we reject Him, and in a sense we become a judge over Christ's life by choosing our sins over Him, well, then that will be our fall. And every person that has ever lived has to contend with this claim about who Jesus is. You see, Jesus Christ is either the rock that we build our lives upon, or He's the rock that we stumble over. So then the most important thing as we enter into 2023, the most important thing that you could ever do is to know that you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ each day with your life, that you are bringing Him closer to you in the way that Simeon brought Him close to Him. And my prayer for us as a church is that it would be said of each of us at the end of 2023 that we have grown into Christ-likeness in every area of life. And may God give us the grace to do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us under your name and for securing for us all the covenant blessings that you promised your people long ago. That with you we truly do have abundant life. That you have put us on a good path of salvation. Would you give us each the strength to continue on this path? Or if we have never gone on it, to consider for the first time what it means to follow you. Lord, we pray that you would circumcise our hearts, that we would not find our identity, our hope, or our foundation in anything else other than you. Forgive us for the way that we make less important things more important than you. Lord, may you go before us in 2023. And may we follow you faithfully as your people. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.